Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Welcome to You News for Thursday, May 21st. I'm Carolina Sarasa, and thank you for being here. As the battle against the coronavirus rages, the planet hitting a record number of cases. Nearly two and a half million more jobs have been lost, even as states continue to reopen, the country facing unemployment not seen since the Great Depression. And just days after an Arizona shopping center reopens, a mass shooting breaking out. These and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. In the past 24 hours, two separate mass shootings. This morning, Naval Air Station Corpus Christi reported an active shooter situation on their base. Officials are saying the shooter has been neutralized and one member of the Naval Security Forces has been injured. The incident happened just after 6 a.m. at one of the gates of the base. Multiple law enforcement agencies are on the scene investigating. Meanwhile, another mass shooting, this time at a shopping center in Arizona. Three people were injured, one in critical condition. Police taking the suspect into custody. Federal agents already on the scene. Romina Leon has the latest. All right, shots fired to me by Dave and Buster. I have two people down over by Johnny Rocket. Overnight, shots fired at an Arizona mall. Police saying a man with an AR-15 fired hundreds of rounds, injuring at least three. I have one with gunshot to the chest and another with broken femur. Officers searching the popular Arizona shopping and entertainment center near the Arizona Cardinal Stadium. Finding the shooter, who is in custody this morning, his motive unknown. Our officers challenged that suspect and were able to safely take that person into custody. The Arizona shopping center that had been closed because of the coronavirus pandemic had recently reopened stores. The pandemic very likely could have possibly uh, been a lifesaver tonight because of the smaller crowds. Shoppers and employees hiding when shots rang out. This mother rushing to the scene after a frightening call from her daughter. She said, just listen to me. There's a shooter here. We're hiding in the back of the building. We have the guests that were eating here and all of the staff. I was on the patio when it started happening. I was busing tables. I'm the only person that was out there, and I'm terrified. Romina Leon. For you news. And now to the latest on the coronavirus pandemic and how the outbreak continues to spread across the globe. The World Health Organization now says more than 5 million people have tested positive for the virus. The organization also reporting the biggest one-day spike yet in new cases. The top three countries now, the U.S., Russia, and also Brazil. Meanwhile, back home, all 50 states are now partially open, but testing continues to be a challenge. This, as some states are being accused of fudging the numbers, and the CDC director warns of a second wave. Lorraine Casares reports. The coronavirus pandemic has now infected more than 5 million people globally. The World Health Organization reporting the biggest one-day spike yet in new cases. We're very concerned about the rising numbers of cases in low- and middle-income countries. 
The U.S. still in the lead of total infections, but all 50 states have now eased restrictions. The White House Coronavirus Task Force assuring states will have better testing capabilities. Our goal is to ensure that we can find the asymptomatics. And I think that's really our focus right now, working with every state to really help them identify where these clusters came from historically, and then proactively going for those clusters, identifying them early. In states like Michigan, many residents upset things are not moving fast enough. Barbers protesting on the state capitol lawn, offering free haircuts, many without face masks and some even armed. Connecticut started reopening yesterday, allowing malls and retailers to open at 50% capacity. Restaurants measuring table distance for outdoor dining only. Many workers ready to get back. If you don't want to go back to work, don't go back to work. But don't deny the rest of us. In Orlando, the vice president and Florida's governor ate a burger together, neither wearing a mask. New York's governor urging residents to do the opposite. They are protective and they work. Wear a mask. Meanwhile, the director of the CDC warning about a looming second wave this winter, saying he can't guarantee whether a second round of lockdowns is coming. This as public health officials in some states are being accused of bungling infection statistics. In Florida, the data scientist who developed the state's dashboard says she was fired for refusing to manipulate data to, quote, drum up support for the plan to reopen. Our dashboard has been recognized nationally. Dr. Burks has praised it multiple times. In Virginia, Texas and Vermont, officials said they've been combining the results of viral tests, which show an active infection, with antibody tests, which show a past infection. And experts say that can make for impressive-looking testing totals, but does not give a true picture of how the virus is spreading. In Miami, Lorraine Cáceres, now back to you. Thank you, Lorraine, for that report. Now, the CDC is now advising doctors to test all newborns delivered to women with potential COVID-19 infections. The CDC says babies are most likely exposed to the virus through airborne droplets from their mothers or other caregivers. There have been reports of exposure during labor, but the data is still unclear. Because of the limited information, the CDC says doctors should presume exposed newborns have an infection. They should also be isolated from other healthy babies and temporarily separated from their mothers. Meanwhile, in Washington, President Trump ramping up his attacks on voting by mail, threatening to hold federal funding to two states, Michigan and Nevada, if they go forward with their plans to expand mail-in ballots. Hours after making those threats, the president visited a four plan in Michigan. That plan has been used to produce personal protective equipment and ventilators. Andrea Linares has the latest. All eligible voters in Michigan and Nevada will be sent an absentee ballot application for the 2020 election. The president falsely claiming the states acted illegally in their push to vote by mail during the coronavirus pandemic. There's a lot of illegality. They send in ballots that uh, they harvest ballots. You know all about harvesting and they do lots of bad things. The president took to Twitter Wednesday threatening to hold up funding to Michigan if they want to go down this voter fraud path. We got to take politics out of this crisis moment. And remember, we're all Americans. The reality is that Michigan's Secretary of State sent out ballot applications, not actual ballots. And she tweeted, 
just like my GOP colleagues are doing in Georgia, Iowa, Nebraska, and West Virginia. The vote by mail system is secure, verified by a voter's signature. So really, as we know, the data shows voter fraud is infinitesimal. The president later revised his tweet, adding the word applications. And it was Nevada's Republican Secretary of State who declared a nearly all-male election primary because of the pandemic. President Trump never specified exactly which funds he would withhold. Yeah, well, I have very specific funding. You'll be finding out. They'll be finding out very soon if it's necessary. I don't think it's going to be necessary because mail-in ballots are a very dangerous thing. However, the White House defended the president when he himself requested a mail ballot for Florida's GOP primary last month, and he has voted absentee in previous elections. President is, after all, the president, which means he's here in Washington. He's unable to cast his vote down in Florida, his, res his state of residence. Uh, so for him, that's why he had to do a mail-in vote. But he supports mail-in voting for a reason. When you have a reason that you are unable to be present, there's, right now, we're very far from November 3rd. New estimates by the Columbia University suggest that about 36,000 coronavirus deaths could have been avoided had the U.S. imposed social distancing measures earlier in March. As people continue trying to curb the spread of the virus, it's very likely that moving forward, mail-in voting will be a popular option for voters who want to avoid a trip to the polling sites. Some states have made upcoming primaries completely vote by mail due to COVID-19. Now, this will reveal a lot about the new mail-in ballot option and how the process works. Some Republicans have said that the party does not oppose absentee voting, but rather oppose sending all voters a ballot without an application. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News. Thank you, Andrea, for that report. And joining me now to talk about this is David Becker. He's with the Center for Election Innovation and Research. Thank you so much for your time, David. Thanks for having me. David, what is the actual data on voter fraud? And is there a link between voting by mail and fraud? So the data is pretty clear. It shows that voter fraud is very, very rare in the United States, whether it's through in-person voting or by mail voting. What you'll find in states with a lot of mail voting, states like Washington and Oregon that have been doing this for years, where almost all voters vote by mail, both of them led by Republican secretaries of state, you'll find very, very little fraud in those states. There are protections against fraud with every mail ballot, signature matching and things like that, checking against the voter list. Um, that make sure that the votes are going to count, they're going to be proper. And what are some of the measures, you mentioned some of them, in place to prevent fraud on mail-in ballots, for example? So every single ballot that gets sent out is checked against the voter file. When a voter uh, returns a mail ballot, they have to sign the outside of the envelope in actually every, almost every state and put some other identifying information on there. And though all of that information, including the signature, is then checked against the information that's on the voter file. If there's any discrepancy at all, states will reach out to those voters and confirm that they indeed cast the ballot. And if, um, for, if there's some discrepancy, of course, they'll flag it. But in almost every case, it's completely normal. Um, and uh, almost all of the ballots that are cast are appropriately cast. And what is the most likely scenario come November during the general election? Do you think we'll be voting by mail, most of us? 
So I don't know if it'll be most of us. There are a lot of states that have been moving towards vote by mail, particularly in the West and Southwest for some years. California is going to be moving to sending a ballot to all voters. Nevada is doing that for the primary. Arizona is almost all there. About 75 to 80 percent of all voters in Arizona vote by mail right now. Those states are very well situated to have a, the vast majority of their votes cast by mail. But in other states, states like Pennsylvania, for instance, where they've never had more than 5% of their votes ever cast by mail, they're not quite ready to move to um, a majority vote by mail. So we're going to need in every state to still have really meaningful opportunities to vote in person safely, which means even though there might be fewer polling places and fewer poll workers, which is something that most states are dealing with right now, we're going to need to make sure that the sites are set up so that people can vote safely, maintaining distance, that all of the equipment is regularly cleaned to prevent any kind of infection as well, because there's going to be a lot of voters, probably as many as a half, who are going to need some kind of in-person option, either on Election Day or also uh, very likely early before Election Day. David, if someone watching is interested in voting by mail, what are the requirements and what is the process like? So it varies by state, which is one of the things that, of course, is challenging for all voters. In almost all of the states, the majority of states, you can vote without any kind of excuse at all. So what I suggest is you go onto your state election website, go to the official site. That might be the Secretary of State's office, as it is in most states, but in a few states it might be an election board, like it is in North Carolina or Illinois. Um, and go to their site, look up the information on how to request a mail ballot. It's most likely right there on the website, probably very easy to do. And always go to trusted official sources, the official election office to do that. In many states it's possible right now to request a mail ballot for November. And it's a good idea to plan for this in advance if you think that's the right kind of uh, voting method for you. If you think you're going to need to vote in person, though, you should go ahead and plan for that ahead of time and try to vote early if possible so you can avoid lines and having to be in a, in a location for a long period of time with other people. Very useful information. Thank you so much for your time, David Becker, for joining us. Thanks for having me. And major news out of Washington. New job numbers are out. More than 2.4 million people applied for unemployment benefits just last week. Just the latest signs of an economy heading for the worst recession since the Great Depression. Claudia Oceda has the details from Washington, D.C. Good afternoon from Washington. Again, another Thursday that we are learning about more people, millions of people who are without a job. Now, let's take a look at these numbers. We have been unthinkable nine weeks ago, but now this has become routine. Let's look. Last week, 2.4 million people filed for unemployment. That's down from the 3 million who filed claims the week before. Now, in general, this means that 39 million have applied for unemployment in just nine weeks, the highest jobless rate since the Great Depression. Now, it's important to know that the states have a backlog of millions of people who have been trying to file for unemployment benefits and haven't been counted yet. Meanwhile, mortgage delinquencies are on the rise. 1.6 million people missed their mortgage payment in April, according to a study from Black Knight, something we have never seen before. Also looming in the horizon is a possible second wave of layoff. People are worried about missing two more car payments, two more rent payments, and also two more mortgages payments. Now, back to you. 
Thank you, Claudia, for that report from Washington, D.C. The family of a man from El Salvador who died from COVID-19 in nice custody in California are speaking out. They say they are considering suing the agency for not releasing the man, even though they knew his medical condition left him more at risk. Salvador Duran has the details. The body of 57-year-old Carlos Escobar, who died from COVID-19 complications while in Immigration and Customs Enforcement custody, was brought to a funeral home in East Los Angeles as requested by his family. We were so close and he was such a good brother, his tearful sister told us in Spanish. Carlos, an undocumented Salvadorian national, had been detained back in January and was waiting for a decision in his deportation case at the Otaimesa Detention Center in San Diego. That's where he was infected with COVID-19 in April. But later, on May 6, he succumbed to his illness at a national city hospital in San Diego County, where ICE agents took him when his condition worsened. According to his death certificate, he died of acute respiratory failure from pneumonia due to the coronavirus. His sister, who says his death was such an injustice, also blames ICE for his death, claiming they could have prevented this tragic outcome had they only released her brother from custody since he suffered from diabetes an underlying condition that can lead to worse outcomes in people who contract COVID-19. ICE has been releasing a number of inmates with underlying conditions from its jails across the country, following a judicial order in a successful lawsuit by the ACLU, but they denied Carlos' request because they felt he was a flight risk. The agency released the following statement. ICE is firmly committed to the health and welfare of all those in its custody, and it's undertaking a comprehensive agency-wide review of this incident, as it does in all such cases. Fatalities in ICE custody statistically are exceedingly rare and occur at a fraction of the national average for the U.S. detained population. The family still has not decided whether they will file a lawsuit against ICE for Carlos' death citing neglect. What they do know is that they will have his body cremated just as many other families are doing with their loved ones who have died from COVID-19. In Los Angeles, I'm Salvador Duran, U News. Thank you, Salvador, for that report. Now the Trump administration is extending restrictions on the border due to the pandemic. Officials say the plan will be maintained until it is determined the disease is not a public health risk. Pedro Rojas explains the impact of this measure. The order to restrict border crossings between Mexico and the United States has been extended, drawing mixed reactions. Some South Texas residents believe it is worthwhile sacrifice to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Maybe in another month, maybe in another month or two, but for right now, I think it's still too dangerous. For migrants sent back to Mexico awaiting U.S. court hearings and makeshift camps, their mission now is to obtain permits to remain legally in Mexico for 180 more days. However, for many, the desperation is growing. They have pushed back our court day further. I thought I could have been admitted by now, Walter Lara says. For us, it is really sad to know that our court dates are continuing to be postponed. We really want our hearings now, Merali Gonzalez says. 
U.S. Border Patrol has revealed that with the restrictions and the use of federal Title 42, between March and April, more than 21,000 migrants were expelled to Mexico. And the trend is intended to continue because the new policy has been implemented for an indefinite period of time. We are going to review every individual case separately and would process them according to their criminal record, Chief Gloria Chavez says. Business owners at the border said that the continuation of the restrictions at the border crossing is impacting heavily their business activity. I will say it is closer to 80% for our customers because people who come from Mexico buy a lot and like the American merchandise, the perfumes and clothing, Euro Silva says. The U.S. Embassy in Mexico indicated that the restrictions for non-essential travel will not be enforced for travel by plane. In McAllen, Texas, Pedro Rojas, U News. The U.S. and Mexico have instituted a new process to bring deported Mexican citizens back to their home country during this pandemic. The process includes strict new health and safety measures. Rodrigo Miragaya explains. Every deported Mexican must travel with a mask on, and when they arrive at the airport in Mexico, their temperature is checked. Also when they land, immigration agents give them hand sanitizer and the new mask to avoid contagion. Then, they are examined by a doctor before officially registering for entry into Mexican territory. Finally, they receive a small snack before boarding the buses that take them to the bus terminals so they can head to their final destination. This is the new repatriation protocol for Mexicans, which began with this flight. The government of Mexico and the United States coordinated in order to come up with a solution, and the solution was to return Mexican migrants to a central base in Mexico in order to help with the pandemic. Mexican and U.S. authorities have agreed that no Mexican nationals with symptoms of the disease will be allowed to board planes. In a statement, the Mexican government further said that the objective is to repatriate in a dignified, safe, and orderly manner up to 133 Mexican nationals per flight and facilitate their return to their places of origin. According to the U.S. Border Patrol, 70% of the people deported have tried to cross back into the United States. Authorities hope to stop this trend by sending them further away from the border. Many of them did not have the resources to return, and this will help them to get to their place of origin. But not everyone agrees. ICE is removing people using the excuse of coronavirus to implement racist and anti-immigrant policies. Maricela Ochoa waits in a shelter in Tamaulipas for asylum in the United States. Her hometown is overrun by criminals. For her, the news only brings despair. The criminals are back home. If they send us back, we're going to be in danger and worse because the criminals know who tried to escape. Rodrigo Miragaya, U News. More of U News after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your news, your world, U News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News.
Nearly 500 Miami-Dade prisoners have contracted the coronavirus. That's according to newly released county records. The number represents more than 41% of inmates tested, that rate of infection much higher than the rate amongst the public in Miami-Dade, where just 11% of those tested for coronavirus have been positive, with tight quarters and social distancing nearly impossible inmates in jails and prisons across the U.S. have been particularly susceptible to the spread of the virus. The USS Theodore Roosevelt is back at sea after recovering from a massive coronavirus outbreak on board. The outbreak began in March, leading to more than 1,000 sailors getting infected. About 4,000 crew members later completed a quarantine in Guam before returning to the ship. Now the Navy says there are fewer crew members on board who will practice enhanced social distancing. Meanwhile, Almost 600 workers at a Tyson chicken plant in North Carolina have tested positive for coronavirus. That plant had reopened after being closed for a deep cleaning. The company says a majority of those who tested positive didn't have symptoms. Tyson also said workers who test positive will receive paid leave and only return to work after they meet CDC and company criteria. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.